Thank you, Doug. Good reminder as Doug prayed this morning that God has been faithful to us. He's been faithful to us as a church. He's been faithful to us as individuals, and we are thankful. Well, this morning we're going to go back to the Gospel of John, where we have been for quite a few months now. Uh, we are looking at this morning at John chapter 6 and verses 35 through 40. John chapter 6 and verses 35 through 40. Let me remind you of the context. Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people. He is speaking with them at Capernaum. He is in a synagogue in Capernaum where uh, when he is speaking to them and the crowd he is speaking to were part of the feeding of the 5,000. They were there. They were fed with the bread and the fish. And it was probably, as I've shared with you, probably more like the feeding of the 15 to 20,000 if you add in the women and the children. But that's the group of people that Jesus is addressing here. And in starting in verse 35, we read, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This morning there is one thought that I would love to have you really dwell on as I move through this sermon. One thought that I would like to soak to have soak into your minds and that thought is this whatever longing you have in your soul whatever aching you may have in your heart they can only be satisfied they can only be fulfilled in the soul satisfying person of Jesus Christ whatever longing you have whatever aching you have it can only find its true and ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. Our first point this morning is, I am the bread of life. In verse 35, Jesus makes the first of seven I am statements that are found in the Gospel of John. Verse 35 is a monumental verse. John Piper said that this one verse had a huge impact on his life and ministry. In fact, the word he used was massive, a massive impact on his life and ministry. In fact, John 6.35 became one of the key thoughts in his writing of the book, Future Grace. In verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he starts out with that phrase, excuse me, I am. And I know some of you have heard this before, but if you haven't, I want to explain it again to you that when Jesus says, I am, 
he is referring to himself as the ever-existent, eternal, self-sufficient, self-contained God of all the universe, the God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. That's how Jesus is identify him, identifying himself. He is describing himself as the great I am. In Exodus chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Out of the burning bush, God describes himself as the ever-existent, eternal God of heaven and earth. And if you remember, Moses took off his sandals and worshipped. And Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. In each of the I am statements, Jesus calls himself, describes himself as the I am, followed by a metaphor that describes his nature and work. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, etc., as we will see in the Gospel of John. And here he says, I am the bread of life. This is a metonym. A metonym is a word or a phrase that is used to describe something larger. It is similar, but it, is, it describes something large. For example, when we say White House, we are referring to all the administration of the office of the President of the United States. When some people use the term the crown, they are referring to the entire British royalty and all of its trappings. Here Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am spiritually everything that you need for your soul's fulfillment. Everything that you crave for and long for. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to me, whatever your soul is hungering for, for meaning, for purpose, for significance, it finds its fulfillment in me. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whatever your soul thirsts for, for relationship, companionship, friendship, for belonging. Whatever it is that your soul thirsts for, it finds its fulfillment in me. I am the bread of life. Now this is true in two different aspects. We can look at this from two different perspectives. First of all, this is true for our salvation. 
at that point in our life where we come to know Jesus as Savior, where we realize that we are sinful and in need of a Savior, and we make a decision to repent of our sin and to invite Jesus to come into our life as Lord and Savior, Jesus becomes the bread of life for us. He gives us soul-satisfying, complete forgiveness. He gives us soul-satisfying relationship with the Father where we can walk with Him and talk to Him and pray to Him and worship Him every single day of our lives. He gives us soul-satisfying, eternal life. We have great, confident hope that when we die, we will be with our Savior. We will be in the presence of God. But there's another way that we can look at this. The bread of life is also important to our sanctification. Sanctification is the word that we use to describe that process in our Christian life where we grow and mature, where we seek progressively to become more like Christ. So even though positionally we stand clean before God and we have tasted of the bread of life, yet in our daily lives there is spiritual warfare. Every single day we feel the conflict in our lives. We know that there is warring there. We feel the allure of the world, of the flesh, and of the devil. And the way that we overcome is by hungering for the bread of life and thirsting for the bread of life. Whatever problem you are facing, whatever issue it is that you are enduring in your life, the ultimate answer is Jesus himself because he is the bread of life. And so he says to this crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not But even though the soul-satisfying bread of life is offered to the crowd, not everyone will believe. Not everyone will come to him. I have shared with you that's what chapter 6 is about. Some will come and some will not. Some are true disciples and some will show themselves to be false disciples. In verse 36 it says, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. You have seen the bread of life. I have presented myself as the bread of life and yet you do not believe. And it is a great reminder for us again this morning that every person who rejects the soul-satisfying, life-giving offer of the gospel message, every person who rejects it is fully responsible for their decision. Fully responsible. You cannot blame God for your decision. You cannot blame your parents for your decision. You cannot blame the church you grew up in for your decision. You cannot blame your circumstances for your decision. If you walk away from the bread of life, you are fully responsible. And it reminds us again this morning that not everyone goes to heaven. When someone dies, 
we may want to say. I think they're in heaven. We may want to say, as we often do, I think they're in a better place. But unless you've received the bread of life, unless a person receives the bread of life, they are not in heaven. They are not in heaven. Well, our second point this morning is the sovereign work of God. Verses 37 through 40 provide a beautiful and glorious statement on the divine sovereign grace of God and the eternal security of every believer. This is a beautiful, glorious section on God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. This great tension, this great coin of two sides. On the one side is the sovereign, divine work of God in a human soul. On the other side is human responsibility. We will never understand it fully, but yet it is there. We know from Scripture that God is working in the hearts and souls of men and women all around the world right now. He is convicting them of their sin. He is convicting them of their need for a Savior from their sin. He is drawing them. He is wooing them. He is revealing himself to them. All over the world he is working in hearts and souls. And yet at the same time, every person must make a decision for or against Christ. And they are fully responsible for that decision. And so we see this great, beautiful, marvelous, glorious tension in Scripture. And rather than trying to give you some deep theological explanation, I just want the Word of God to speak for itself this morning. Verse 37. All, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. All that the Father gives me will come to me. God is working in hearts. Wooing, convicting, drawing, revealing himself. And those who come are the gift of the Father to the Son. But what I really want to hone in on this morning is that when you come to the Son in true repentance and faith, you are secure in him forever. This is an incredibly important passage on the eternal security of the believer. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you know Christ as your Savior, if there's been that decisive moment in your life where you've repented of your sin and surrendered your life to Christ, He will never cast you out. Never will He cast you out. You are always his. How can we say that? How can Jesus say that? The answer is found in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. 
How can Jesus say that? Because he is from heaven. He has come down from heaven. He is not of this earth. He is not Muhammad. He is not Buddha. He is not some other earthly religious leader. He has come down from heaven. This is a great Christmas passage. In fact, we're going to stay in the Gospel of John at least through the early part of December because it has so much to do with Christmas. Jesus is presenting himself as the pre-existent God, the great I Am who has come down from heaven, who became flesh and came into our world to acquire for us, to purchase for us a full and free salvation. He says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the Father's will. I want you to just look at a couple of verses with me. This whole thought of Jesus coming down from heaven. Verse 32 of this chapter. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. Verse 38, For I have come down from heaven. Verse Drop down to verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because, they, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They understood completely what he was saying. He's from the Father. God has entered our world. That's the glory of Christmas. It's the glory of the cross. That it is God who has come this is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. This is exactly what Jesus was telling Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 13. Jesus says to Nicodemus, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. If you remember back when we were in John 3, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you must be born from above because I come from above. You must be reborn in me because I descended from heaven. I am the Son of Man. And then in verse 39, Jesus says this, And this is the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. It's God's will. It is the Father's will that Jesus lose none of those who truly come to him. What an amazing thought. He will lose none of those who come to him. And notice he says, but raise it up in the last day. He's talking about your body. We looked at this in John chapter 5. That when we die, our souls go to heaven. And I believe that we are given a temporary body. And then at the rapture of the church, those who are dead in Christ will rise. Their bodies will rise to be reunited with their souls and go on into the rest of eternity in the millennium and the new heavens and new earth. But what I really want you to grab hold of this morning is that your salvation is so secure in Christ that he has already promised you that your body will be raised up in the last day. It's already so secure that he has already promised you that he's going to raise your body up at the last day. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You see, the coming of Jesus into the world is not the beginning of God's plan. It is the continuation and completion of God's plan. Our salvation was planned out from eternity past. In all of the Old Testament, it points forward to Jesus through its types, through its sacrifices, through its prophecies. And then Jesus comes and provides for our salvation. He dies and he rises again. And all who believe in him are so secure in their salvation that he already says, I'm going to raise you up at the last day. Verse 40, what a powerful verse. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And watch this, here it is again. And I will raise him up on the last day. I will. Whoever looks to me and believes, I will raise him up on the last day. Oh, this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes and who believes in him should have eternal life. Have you ever thought just about that little phrase, eternal life? Did you know eternal life means that your salvation is eternally secure? He didn't give you temporary life. He didn't give you life and say, okay, hold on to it as long as you can. No. He gave you eternal life right from the moment of your salvation. This is the Father's will that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. Well, as we close this morning, do not miss the great invitation extended to you by the eternal God of heaven and earth. There is a tremendous invitation to everyone in this passage. In verse 35, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, whoever comes and believes, whoever comes and believes. In verse 40, Jesus says, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him. Everyone who looks and believes, looks and believes. And throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, Jesus says, come to me, come to me, come to me. Come and believe, look and believe. Let me read some verses for you. They aren't going to be on the screen, but just listen to them. They're all found from the Gospel of John. John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes, whoever believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life. John 5.24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not and will not be condemned. He has crossed from death to life. 
in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, which is the theme of the book of the Gospel of John. It says, Jesus did many other miracles, or excuse me, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, the miracles that have been recorded, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of the Gospel of John, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus, the bread of life, is God's answer to sin and death. Jesus, the bread of life, is God's answer to man's hunger for meaning and purpose and significance. Jesus, the bread of life, is God's answer to man's thirst, a longing in his heart that he often doesn't even realize, a thirst to know God and to walk with him in fellowship and prayer and worship every day. Let us be reminded that the bread of life is to be offered to every person in every people group, in every part of the world. I want you to think of a physical loaf of bread. And I want you to imagine that someone ministering to you has brought to your home this homemade loaf of bread. That bread doesn't do you any good if you never eat it. If it just sits on your counter, it is of no benefit to you. And no one can eat that bread for you. No one can come over at your house and say, oh, I'll eat it for you. You have to eat it. You have to eat it. And what's true with that physical loaf of bread is true of the spiritual bread of life. If the bread of life, if the gospel of Jesus is presented to you, and you reject it, you do nothing with it, it is of no benefit to you. The bread of life is of no benefit to you unless you believe and receive it. And no one can receive the bread of life for you. No other person can do it for you. You must individually Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must individually pray and ask Christ to come into your life and save you. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This Thanksgiving, we have much to be thankful for. But at the very top of the list, at the very top of the list, is Jesus, the bread of life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the bread 
of life. Thank you for our salvation. A salvation purchased for us by the great I Am. Cause each one of us, Lord, cause each one of us to hunger and thirst every day for the bread of life. Remind us every day that the deepest longings of our hearts can only be satisfied by Jesus, in whose name we pray.